Welcome to the Bitchin' Brainstorm podcast with Elaine the Brain Terso. I believe that every problem has a solution. So the episodes you will hear will be live strategy calls with real entrepreneurs who are feeling stuck. We will spend a few minutes bitching about the struggle and then move forward with finding solutions. You will hear topics about launching offers, mindset, marketing, strategy, and so much more. Remember, we are both the problem and the solution. Now let's get out of our own damn way and get shit done. If you are an entrepreneur and would like to receive a live strategy call, please visit bitchandbrainstorm.com and fill out an application. We would love to have you as our next guest. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bitch and Brainstorm podcast. I am your host, Elaine the Brain Terso, and I have a new friend with me today, and I'm going to let her uh, introduce herself and tell us what is keeping you stuck and how can we help you get unstuck so that you can be successful. Okay, well, thank you for having me on the show, Elaine. Um, So my name is Connie, and I am a freelance editor and book coach, and I have kind of felt stuck for a while now. Um, I, I got to a certain point where I felt comfortable, like now I have a nanny who comes part-time and I'm like, okay, I can have childcare and eliminate some of that stress. Um, but I, I can, I'm at this point where like, I can consistently make the ends meet, but I can't get beyond that. And I feel like at this stage in my career, I should be earning more than my babysitter. Um, I should be getting to, you know, I shouldn't be, I love the work that I do, but I want to like, not just basically be working for free. Um, so I've, I've had a lot of thoughts about why I'm stuck. Um, I have raised my prices for 2022, which was something I knew I needed to do. Um, probably need to raise them even more than I did, honestly, to make the, the kind of hourly rate that I want to, but I didn't feel like comfortable going up super high, super fast. So I raised them 25%, um, which is an overdue raise. And uh, so I'm just hoping because now it's now 2022, we're actually just now getting back to work from the holidays that that is turns out to be okay. I think I, I think, as I mentioned on like on my take form that I am kind of thinking maybe I'm not thinking about this the way that a beginner would that I'm not using the kinds of language because I've been in publishing for such a long time and worn so many hats and that I'm not maybe presenting what my services are in the way they can understand and they can appreciate the value um but then I kind of doubt myself and I think I love working with independent authors, um, you know, as much as I love working with small presses, but maybe those folks just don't like, obviously there's some who do have the cash, but maybe they're not enough of them who have the cash. And I've even started thinking like, okay, I know I have a lot of transferable skills from publishing. What else could I do that is a creative, sustainable business that makes me feel like emotionally happy, but also, you know, I have 
children to take care of. Mm -hmm. oh. Okay, some follow-up questions. <clears throat> How are you currently marketing your services? Yeah, so um, I'm marketing a, a lot of different ways, actually. Um, so I have two podcasts um, that update weekly. Uh, I'm actually just coming back from that Christmas break. So I have two podcasts update weekly. I have email marketing weekly. Um, I have some social media presence. I really haven't worked that the way I could. Um, and I, uh, maybe I, um, maybe that, that was the wrong direction was to have that kind of content marketing podcasting, um, much as I love doing it. Maybe it wasn't the direction that is going to get me people or going to get me the people who have both the income and the knowledge to take that step. Okay. Um, the next question I have is, um, tell me more about your packages. Um, do you have just one package? Is there multiple options? Can you tell me a little bit more about what do people get when they work with you? Yeah, so there's multiple options. Um, there's multiple levels of editing. And this is where I am kind of at this tricky point of I'm probably not speaking my, my you know, client's language, at least for independent authors. Um, and this is also tricky because I work with publishers, they're regular clients, and they talk about things in some way. So I need to like use dual speak here somehow. Um, but there's multiple levels. Um, so developmental editing is the first step in editing. That's the editing that evaluates for fiction, um, your plot, your character arcs, um, all the big picture elements. Um, and there are some prose elements as well, but it's this is the, the edit you get that you anticipate having a major revision after you get that feedback from the editor. Um, then after that comes copy and line editing and some houses break that up. But for independent authors, I combine those two and they're the sentence level editing. And then the final level is proofreading, which is to catch the mistakes that may have been made or introduced or just missed during those other stages. Because the more you mess with the manuscript, the more you can introduce errors. Um, and then I also do some coaching and consulting as well. Okay. So does your coaching and consulting include any of these other services? Um, I have had kind of combined packages when, I, when a client wants that, but typically they'll want kind of a, a self-publishing consult independent of that or added on to some editing. Okay. Um, so how are you, are you is your goal to attract first-time authors? Um, honestly, I don't, necess not necessarily, uh, because I, I kind of split those two audiences in my podcast. I, when I realized I was speaking to lots of different people, I have one that's more for repeat authors and one that's more for like first-timers who don't know what they're doing. Um, because yeah, I, I'm not, I haven't, really focus that because again like I'm trying to find who's the who needs the help um first time authors probably need it well I mean need it more but maybe don't know they need it second time authors can appreciate and understand the value um and may also have more of the income to support editorial services 
Okay. Do you um, sell any products or templates or courses or anything like that? Um, no, I've thought about a course. Um, I mean, I, I guess I'm telling a lie because I don't think of books as products, but I do have um, an author planner. Okay. And so that is technically a product. Awesome. Okay. So then how long do people typically work with you? Um, so again, it really depends. Um, like my picture book clients are typically like I'm working with them for a week and then they're gone. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and then I've got some like longer, it really is manuscript length and like ability of the author. Cause then I've got like a a novel client with a particularly large manuscript where I'm doing multiple levels of editing. And then, so that's been like months. So it really varies a lot. Okay. And are people that are coming to you, are they, are, do you find that they're more interested in self-publishing or do you find that they're more interested in going the traditional publishing route? Oh, definitely. They're more interested in self-publishing. Okay. Um, in fact, I guess for those listening, if you are intending to traditionally publish, you might benefit from developmental editing and manuscript evaluations, that kind of thing, but you shouldn't get copy editing because your publisher will do that. Okay. Um, and so when you think about, um, one of the things that I really want to help you focus on is the gap and figuring out what the gold mine is so that you can start attracting the right people to you. Cause it sounds like, um, you kind of have, you're really more interested in maybe working with that second time author, someone who's done it before, who's, you know, it's not their first rodeo. Doesn't mean that you can't work with both, but you could definitely um, set up a program, like a group program almost for first time authors, where you are taking them through the, the process together um, as a group, like a cohort almost where we're going to do it together. And we're going to have that camaraderie that goes along with that and celebrate together and do all that kind of fun stuff. Right. I could totally see that right. Happening for you. Um, you know, offering writing workshops, really giving them that experience. And that is a high ticket. That is a high ticket. Yeah. High ticket for sure. I've like made stabs at that in the past okay. and gotten like nowhere. Okay. Um, nothing. And I'm just thinking my audience is so small and maybe these people just aren't there. <laughs> okay. It may also, you know, um, my next question, do you do any networking? Do you have any networking groups that you belong to? Um, yes. It's taken a while to, to find some, but um, I do have a semi-local networking group that meets online um, and a network with other editors and other editorial professionals through Facebook groups and other online forums. Okay. Um, the reason I ask is because um, I have met many, many, many publishing coaches and author coaches and things like that through um, an organization that I belong to called Polkadot Powerhouse. Hmm. And so there are, they do, um, uh, what is, what is it called? Where there's a multiple people contributing chapters. So anthologies. Uh, anthology. yeah, anthology. yeah. So, um, and I was just, so I've published two books, self-published through Amazon, right? And then I was just a part of an anthology that was just 
released yesterday, day before yesterday, um, where I contributed a chapter and both of them, uh, very different experiences, right? The, the one where, um, the anthology, there was a timeline, there was a deadline, there was like a theme, there was a publisher, there was an editor. There's like, you know, this is like an actual book that'll be sold in Barnes and Noble, right? Like very exciting. So, um, doing anthologies has really become a way for people who are not yet quite ready to write the whole book, but maybe have an important story that they would like to contribute to, um, to a book. And it also can help reduce the, the cost because everybody's kind of sharing the expense of having this big book published traditionally versus self-publishing. Um, and, you know, we had a professional editor looking over all of our stuff and making changes and whatever. Very different than me trying to do it my damn self. Okay. So that's co-op publishing um, yeah. or hybrid publishing or something. So, cause I'm, I'm trying to get a handle on what the business setup is. So you paid the person. I paid. So, yep. So they were like, this is how much it costs to be involved with this book. And there are, I think, 12 to 14 uh, authors that are a part of this anthology, you know, coming together, basically. Um, so it allowed, like I said, it allowed my, my expense was significantly less than had I, you know, just wrote a whole, a whole, the whole book. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so is that something you've ever considered doing before? Um, that's something I have participated in, not with, but actually, um, my ultimate goal is I would like to one day when I have like the money and the time to establish a traditional small press. And I have hesitated thus far to jump into high co-op publishing might be kosher, but I've hesitated to jump into hybrid publishing while there are a lot of there are nowadays more good hybrid publishers out there um, and book packagers, uh, but the industry, the reputation in the industry for so long was so poor because there's so many bad faith actors that it has really made me go, ooh, do I want to take that step? Will I always be tarred, you know, tarred with the same brush of as the people who, you know, you pay 10 grand and you get this box of books that you can never sell? Gotcha. Okay. So that is very different than my experience. Yeah. So okay. yours sounds like a very positive co-op. Very, very positive. Yeah. Very positive experience. Um, and you know, I, I get five copies and I can buy additional copies at the, you know, at the author's price, right. Which is great. And then if I want to give them away or I want to sell them or whatever, I have the option to do that, but I was not required to purchase yeah. 10,000 books, right. As I may have been, if it was just me by myself. Um, but actually if you were self-publishing, you shouldn't like, right. Otherwise right. run away from that. that right. Bad. Exactly. And so um, I think, you know, the small independent presses, you can um, try and attract the people that are doing self-publishing because, and I'll tell you why I self-published versus trying to go find a publisher was because I, um, my book was 
very profanity. Okay. So I love, as you know, my podcast is bitch and brainstorm. I love curse words. Okay. Um, but I also was, I was collecting stories from women who were sharing very vulnerable and really hard truths, um, whether anonymously or they may have had their name. And the idea of them being rejected by a publisher or someone wanting to change their story was really the reason why I was like, I'm not going to even give um, that a thought because I didn't want someone to, to tell them that they had to rewrite their story, that it wasn't good enough or it didn't have enough meat or it didn't, their story is their story. So my fear was that they would get rejected, that it would be rejected. And then I would have to tell them your, our stories aren't good enough. Right. And so that kept me from going that route and going through that process and trying to even find someone that would want to buy the book or whatever. So if you established yourself as that traditional small press who is looking to, you know, um, help someone like self-publishing versus traditional publishing, like I'm going to help you make sure your story is told in a way that is not going to, I'm not going to, you know, edit you. I'm not going to censor you, you know, and you could position yourself in that way is that how can you be different than what everyone else does? Um, just, just to hold up right there. Mm -hmm. I am an editor. Mm -hmm. Um, editing is what I do. And some of my advice to clients is to change their story mm. to make it more sellable. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm like, I see what you're saying about maybe going into a co-op publishing model and that might be a good direction, but I would have to be selective about what stories go in and I would have to reject some that is unfortunately part of publishing. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, how do you, like, how do you help people make sure that their story is heard and not, you know, um, that they're not, um, I think it's like, this is really good. And I think I could sell this book or this could be really great for self-publishing and really, you know, after you evaluate their book, then you could say, I could definitely sell this. This is great. Um, or I can't, I can't sell this as it is. So either we do some changes and I help you tweak this, or you could go the self-publishing route, right? So you could really kind of give them the choice and instead of it being a rejection, it's, this is what I think would work best for you. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess, again, we're still talking co-op model, not independent authors who are no independent authors. I mean, still need oh independent authors not co-op publishing right um, because I'm not selling their books mm -hmm. and that's but if you're not wanting, if you're wanting to start a small press wouldn't that be what it is it would be a separate business okay um and I mean I when you start a small press I mean that's part of that is you you only take on the books you can sell mm -hmm. um and I would I would give them a nice rejection um as much as i have time for it's pretty common for uh, for people to really just get form rejections um because you get so so many submissions like hundreds of thousands of them mm. so again assuming that takes off i don't know if i'd be able to give that level of personalization to rejections yeah. but. gotcha okay so let's move into helping you find the gap 
Okay. And really helping you figure out who your audience is and who they're not. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of ways that I do this. And one is um, to look at the top five and the last five customers that you have had. Okay. So if you could like think about, okay, the last five people that I helped and then the people that were my favorite people to help. Okay. okay? And so you kind of separate the two you may find that there's a couple that overlap. Okay. And that's okay. Right. It's okay. Um, but what I like to do is I will do a deep dive into them. I want to know what did they buy? How did they find me? What did they, how much did they spend? What did I love about working with them? Were they influential Um, are they, so someone who's well, really well connected in the community, are they enjoyable? Someone that I really enjoyed working with and I want to clone them and I want everyone to be like them. Right. Um, and then what is the other one? There's enjoyable, influential, and, uh, it's like a moneymaker, right? So they're kind of whatever, but they made you a lot of money. So they were big income producer. Okay. So I kind of go through this process and then I go find out everything I can about them. What's their gender? What's their race? What's their, do they have a religious preference? Um, what are they, how, what are things they do in their community? Um, are they community focused? Are they self-employed? Um, do they work in an office? What industry are they in? And I really start to figure out who they are. And then I go, who's missing? So who is missing from this, this pool of people? So if I look at my list and I'm like, wow, I just have a whole bunch of white ladies. Mm-hmm. I've got, there's people missing from my experience, which means that I am not doing a good job of, of attracting all different types of people. I seem, we seem to attract people that are most like us. Mm-hmm. right? We do. It's just, it's just how, how the world works. We have to be really intentional to attract people who are not like us. So one of the things that I do is I look at, um, what's who's missing. And then I decide to spend 20% of my marketing efforts on attracting the people that are missing. So whether that could be people that are, that have disabilities Maybe I need to focus more of my energy on attracting men. If all of my clients are women, do I only want to work with women? Can I work with men? I can work with men. Why do I not have any men? Right? So I may spend a little energy intentionally trying to attract people that are, that are missing from my experience because what you can, the gap is who is being underserved, who is being left out. So when you think about who is not publishing books, who has barriers to publishing books and how can you fill that gap and help them become a part of the experience of being, of having a book published? Mm -hmm. So is there, are there groups of people that you can think of that are, that you don't see a whole lot where you're like, we need more of these kinds of voices to be sharing their stories or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to 
bridge the gap like and publishing is very very female um <laughs> but i don't see so and yet some of my like two of my top five as i'm trying to like do this in my head were were dudes like they did and they they were great to work with um but most of my clients are female um i i have actually reached more people of color than I had in like the past couple of years, um, though that is definitely an underserved place. Um, people of color are not publishing um, as much as white people. Um, queer people are not publishing at the same rates as, or at least openly queer people are not publishing at the same rates as, as openly straight people, people with disabilities. Um, those are all definitely underserved. Uh, and, I guess the, the creativity is going to come from finding a way to serve that market um, where some of the barrier is, uh, you know, a lack of representation, a lack of, of seeing, if you can't see it, you, you can't be it, that, to use that quote that I don't remember where it came from. Mm -hmm. um, but some of those are systemic societal barriers that will also mean that they don't have the money for the conferences, the expensive programs, the freelance editors, um, that other people do. Right. Right. Um, so I, I, I have someone, uh, my, my business bestie and I interviewed a woman. Um, her name is right on the tip of my tongue. Um, she is a, um, uh, editor, for specifically for black authors, right? Mm -hmm. So that I would love to connect you with her because I think that, um, you know, being able to collaborate in some way and, you know, you may do something that she doesn't do that she may need to like, you know what I mean? Not everybody does the same thing. Um, and then I also have um, another person came to my mind who um, helps people with um, marketing their books as well as taking their book and then turning that into content for marketing purposes, you know, like turning your book into a marketing machine, basically. Um, so I would love to connect you with those two people um, because I think that, you know, there's potential collaboration there. Yeah, that's very interesting to think about. And you mentioned that freelance editor who is working specifically with black authors. Um, and this is a weird thing to come up, um, but it, I, I have, I've worked with some other queer authors as an editor. I, to my knowledge, I am the only queer person that has ever appeared on my podcast, which is a little messed up. <laughs> okay. I'm like, well, my VA is queer. Oh. I'd be happy to connect you. She, um, <laughs> yeah, like she's super great. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like, I guess you, you don't think about, I, I didn't think about like, I need to, yeah, I, even when I actively wanted to reach out to my community, maybe I wasn't doing it in the right way. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, um, there are huge, um, are you on TikTok at all? Uh, barely. <laughs> like okay. I got an account and I watched stuff, but I haven't put anything out. Okay. So, um, I love TikTok. First of all, like I talk about TikTok all the time to the point where my husband was like, Oh my gosh, he's talking about another TikTok video. And I send videos to people all the time, but 
I have, you know, one of the cool things about TikTok is that you can really curate your own algorithm, right? You can tell TikTok what you love to see. So I am on queer TikTok, drag queen TikTok, POC TikTok, anti-racism TikTok, dogs, um, business, and um, food. Show me all the recipes, right? (laughs) So I have really come to know and love some really amazing um, people in those spaces. And there's another gentleman that I'm thinking of that would also might be a cool connection for you, but he specifically um, works with um, gay men to help them with their finances. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, there really is a place for you in those spaces. And once they know, like if you were, I don't want to say out loud and proud, but basically if that was your, um, your identity, that is what you become known for is that you are the go-to person for queer wannabe authors, right? Like that is something that they would feel probably more comfortable coming to someone who can identify with them versus going to, you know, the old white man down the road who, right. You don't know if they're an ally or not. So, um, right. So being able to create that safe space and say, your story is valued here, Mm -hmm. right? Like I want to help you tell your story because we need more voices out there, um, to, to really share their story. You know, um, there is a creator that I follow that I absolutely love. Um, her name is Mercury Stardust and she is the trans handy ma'am. And I love her. I know. And she is a handy. I know, but she helps people like, this is how you, if you're a renter, this is how you can easily fix things that go wrong in your home. Because a lot of people that are, that are trans may feel very uncomfortable having, a potentially bigoted maintenance man come into their home to fix something. So she's really about teaching them to kind of do it on their own. Um, but she comment, she, you know, um, shared a, a comment that she typically gets on her videos has nothing to do. She's literally just showing you how to hang a picture on the wall, finding the stud, how to find studs in, in your wall. And someone comments that, you know, there should be a Holocaust of all gay people and just awful, awful things. And she's like, this is what we deal with on a regular basis. Do you, are there books out there telling the stories of people that are going through these horrible atrocities and how do they get support? How do they rise up? How do they, um, you know, continue to move forward in the face of all of this hate and evil, you know? Yeah. And that's, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's not supposed to be a therapy session, but I'm like, I know. <laughs> I don't know. Why, I, why did I have this block around? Is this like internalized queer phobia that I've been fighting yes. my whole life to not to like, I want to be out, like out and proud of it. And I also feel like there are a million right. judgments that will fall on me. Um, but I, I meet these authors and I hear these stories and I write myself in a genre that tends to attract, tends to skew very conservative. I write cozy mystery. Um, and I am one of just like a handful of cozy mystery queer authors out there. 
almost all of them self-published because mm -hmm. traditional publishing hasn't latched onto that. Um, but I know that like there are those stories that aren't being told or aren't being promoted in mm -hmm. the right ways. Right. And so how can you fill that gap? We found the gap sister, like, you know what I'm saying? You found, you just found the gap and, um, my VA, um, we talked about this very thing. She says, I, she wanted to be out loud and proud that she is a queer VA, right? And that she was also scared of what if, are people not hiring me because I'm gay, right? Like she truly genuinely had that concern. And so I think there are ways that you can, she's very much, much about inclusivity. She promotes that on her website. Like I, I want to be inclusive. I don't want anyone's voices to, you know, to be silenced. And it took her some courage to decide that she was going to not care what people thought because she wanted to do what made her happy. She wants to do what is authentic to her she didn't want to hide behind the mask anymore. She didn't want to hide in the shadows anymore. She wanted to be her authentic self online and not care. And we talked today and she celebrated. She reached her goal of getting three new clients was her goal. And like, that was a milestone for her going, okay, so maybe people don't care as much as I thought they cared. Right. Mm -hmm. Because there are some people, they don't care right? They don't care. Um, they don't care who you sleep with. That's not their business, right? They don't care. And, um, but yeah, there are assholes out there that, you know, let's not get into that, but you know what I mean? So yeah, I've read the reviews, right? Right. So I think though, that you have the potential to really put yourself out there as this, per, as a safe pace safe space for people who identify um, with the LGBTQIA plus community and being able to say, hey, I'm over here. I will, I will help you come over here, come to me, right? And that doesn't mean that you have to, like you can promote those in those specific communities, mm -hmm. right? So you can almost, if you wanted to, have a whole separate landing page for your, for your queer community. So that, um, you know, if you wanted to have two separates where you have your traditional regular white straight ladies over here, um, you can, you could do that. And if you wanted to have your rainbows and unicorns and all the magical things over here that really attracted, um, people from that community to you, you could totally do that. You can have two separate pages landing page and then it can lead to you know click here and it'll take them to the basic information but it's about how do people feel when they stumble on your page mm -hmm. right so you could do that i have multiple landing pages <laughs> right i have three websites right and but i do a variety of things and so it allows you to um really kind of 
segregate my audiences. So these people that come to this website are interesting in, in launching. People that come to this website are interested in, in getting shit done. And the people that come to this website are really interested in one-on-one -on -one coaching, right? So it really, I've kind of segregated that because I didn't want to overwhelm my audience by having all on one page. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? But yeah. you could, you could essentially do the same thing and then just intentionally post that landing page site. You know, you just need a URL, direct it wherever you want it to go. Um, and then post that website in those, in those spaces, um, where that community exists, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's an idea, man. Those websites do add up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> With like regular website, podcasts, writer website. I'm already at quite a few, but what's one more? I have, I think, 25 URLs. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know I have a problem. I'm not even joking. I have a problem. Uh, I buy URLs every time I think of a, of a name and I'm like, oh, let me go look and see. Oh my God, it's available. I'm going to buy it right now. Cause I just never know what I'm going to want to do with it later. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a serious problem. It's a serious problem. So let's talk a little bit more about um, one of the things that I, when you think about um, the people who are coming to you, what are the things that they really need the most help with? What is like the common denominator that you notice? Wow, everybody is asking for this one thing. Yeah. Um... I'd say copy editing is my bread and butter. Okay. Um, so yeah, the copy line editing is the thing I do the absolute most of. Um, again, I don't know if it's because I'm reaching more copy editing clients or if it's because um, there's just more people who want that um, or see the value in it mm -hmm. other than developmental. Um, in terms of like consulting, people often want to know how do I self-publish for the first time? or I self-published or I'm about to self-publish and I have absolutely no idea how to market help. Okay. Um, so you kind of have this ability, you have this, this, um, the potential to what I like to call upsell. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you know, you have someone who's like, okay, well, I want to, I need someone to edit my book. Okay. Um, what else do you need? Right. It's, it's being able to almost like, can you act as the one-stop shop? Right. Can you, um, do you have people that can help with designing the cover? Um, I've actually like, I've worn a lot of hats in publishing. Okay. So some of this design work I have upsold in the past. Okay. But I just like put it front and forward on my website. I don't know. Okay. So, but that's something that you could, you know, Hey, do you like, if you were to create a checklist of everything that needs to get done, mm -hmm. right. Then number one, you could sell that as a PDF over here. So you have your offer yeah. planner, but then you have, this is everything that needs to get done and you could sell that. Um, and then you could include that, um, as you know, if they were to buy a consulting and editing package from you, you could include it right as, as a bonus. Um, but creating 
those all-in-one packages for people that really gives them everything that they need so that they don't feel that they have to go here for this person, go, go, go to this person for that, go to this person for that. Like I'm a one-stop shop, you know, Mm -hmm. like if you can market yourself as, as the one-stop shop for authors, um, that alleviates a lot of stress and anxiety around doing all of the legwork to find the people that are, can do all of those things. Yeah. So uh, for some of those skills that like may not be for me, like I've done some cover design work, but not all genres are mm-hmm. my, my cup your of favorite or yeah, um, your zone of genius. Yeah. We like to call all it of them are my zone of genius or people who want extensive picture book illustrations. And mm-hmm. I do not have like the illustration portfolio to do that just yet. Um, that's something I could kind of reach out to my network because I do know those people. And if they yeah. could be like a, a recommended contact. Right. So here's what I would tell you. So I have um, a marketing agency. Okay. And I have essentially put together what I call my dream team. Okay. Now my dream team are, I become the project manager so that my client does not have to reach out to this person for this and reach out to this person for that and pay them all individually, Mm -hmm. right? I become the project manager. I work one-on-one with, um, with the, the team member. So the client doesn't act, may not ever meet this person, right? They send me the bill and I pay them through the funds that the client sends me, but I price myself in accordance with knowing what their fees are so that I am right. So you could essentially contract subcontract out pieces of the work to the people that, you know, like, and trust that you've built relationships with. And so you could essentially build your own dream team of what are the things that you are not in your zone of genius? Well, you have someone, you don't have to say, oh, I don't do that. You say, yeah, yep. I have someone. We got, we got you covered on that. Right. And then you just bring in that person and take, and you communicate what needs to be done. And you become the project manager of them writing of this book. Basically you're, you're given everyone the directions. Okay. You need to write a thousand pages. This is your deadline. Yada, yada. You know what I mean? So you become like that project manager. Yeah. So how does that, I guess, well, I guess, uh, actually uh, this question might not matter. I was going to ask, how does that work with the timing for, for like subcontracting out to people? Um, but a lot of the subcontracting work I'd be doing is design work. And if we're still editing the book, then there's going to be a time gap anyway. Mm-hmm. So yes. unless this person is in a major hurry to pop, right. um, so, then it's probably not a problem. So you set the timeline. So when you, um, when you are uh, having a consult with your client and they're deciding if they want to work with you, one of the questions you should be asking is how quickly Or is there a date in mind that you're wanting to launch this book? And if they're like, oh, well, I want to launch this on my birthday in March. And you'd be like, "Uh, that's three months away, right? So you can then say, well, are are we talking about a children's book here? Or are we talking about a manuscript, right? Like what's realistic? And that's when you can create the timeline 
and say, you know what, March is not feasible. So yeah. we need to push that out for, you know, typically it takes my clients. That's what you need to say. Typically a project of this magnitude would take my clients about six months to nine months to a year, whatever that is to complete. And I can give you a timeline and, and you need to have this by this date, this by this date, just reverse engineer it, right? Give yourself the, the time that you need to do your part and how much, you know, that person needs to get their part done. Mm -hmm. Um, but then you can bring in that subcontractor and just say, Hey, I want to let you know, I have a job for you. Um, we're looking to bring you in around June. So put some time in your calendar. I'm going to need you in this, in this time frame based on the timeline that we've created. So mm -hmm. you could easily manage that just by being super organized. And as long as, yeah. you know, everybody stays on, on task and, you know, then you can manage that if you need to. Yeah. Just budgeting that extra time. Cause like, I, I'm thinking like, what if I take on somebody and we've got this timeline and the designer goes, Oh, I can't do that. I'm booked. Right. So when you take on the client and you find out what their needs are, and we're going to do the whole project. So that means um, you know, based on our timeline, based on the date that we want to have this launched, we need to have this done by this date, you know, you know how long all that stuff takes. Mm -hmm. So it's just about communicating with the team and saying, we have this person. And then the, if they say, well, I'm not available, then you could say, okay, well, I'm going to, you move on to the next people. So it's okay yeah. to have multiple people on your team because when one person's not available, the next person may be, or their specialty may be children and the other person's specialty is fantasy. Very different, right? So it's okay to have multiple artists and multiple designers based on what their, what their zone of genius is. But I mean, that's something that you could, you know, and when you are creating this dream team, this book dream team, author dream team, you can charge a premium price for that. Because what you're doing is you're eliminating all of the Googling and all of the searching and all of the interviewing, and you're eliminating all of the stress that goes along with it. And now they're like, I have one person that's going to take care of everything for me. Hell yeah. Sign me up. So you you're eliminating all of the extra legwork that this author would have to do because you're saying my team can do it all. Mm -hmm. that's how you set yourself apart. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm just like one anticipating again, maybe problems that haven't arisen yet. So there might not be a problem, but I'm like, what if I have this set up and then the person comes back and goes, I do not like this cover. So give them, you know, do that. Can they, I mean, give them multiple, um, yeah. it's like a logo design, right? So a couple of different variations and if they're like this is really totally out of yeah, what i what so i thought yeah then totally. you can set it up with the designer how many alterations are included with your price uh -huh. modifications i should say yeah you know so when i worked with a logo designer she told me you you two modifications are included with your logo package and so she gave me 10 freaking options and I'm like, oh my God, like, wow, this is so great. It's so hard to choose. 
So basically kind of process of elimination, you know, I really like this with in this one, can we add, can we combine these two in some way, you know, and then boom. And I'm like, mm, you know, so it includes a couple of modifications. Okay. You know, and you just build that in mm -hmm. to your contract with the designer. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, so where do you feel like you need to move forward from here? Um, I don't know. I think I, I you're giving me a lot to think about <laughs> a lot of different directions I can take, um, take this. I think I just need to, um, to work on like reaching the right people, um, and doing it in the right way, mm -hmm. like saying the right things. And I'm, I love my podcasts, but they might have run their course. I feel like I, I should have had more of a following by now. I've been podcasting for over two years. Um, so that's a long time to put into something. And that's kind of why I'm want, like, I don't want to let it go, but mm -hmm. maybe I'd to start something new. Are you interviewing people on your podcast? Yes. Okay. So are you, you're bringing on authors? Yeah, I'm bringing on authors or other publishing professionals, okay. um, at least in the, the main podcast. Okay. Okay. And, um, are these authors potential clients? Um, some of them, uh, they do tend to either already like have their people or some of them actually have been former clients or turned into clients. Okay. So, um, so what, let me ask you this, mm -hmm. if you were to, um, I'm not saying to change your podcast, but if you were to say, who could you interview on your podcast um, that could be a potential client? So think about who those people could be and start um, dripping them into your podcast because what that could do is not only does it give you an opportunity to build that you no know, like trust factor with them where they could become a potential client, um, but it can also um, hearing from a potential author, someone who wants to write a book or has a story to share and is not really quite sure where to start, right? Where you could be giving them advice and things like that um, could help um, inspire your audience who maybe is in the same boat where they may, they may relate to that story of, I want to write, I've always wanted to write a book, you know, people it's a bucket list item for a lot of people. Right. And so it's, but it can be inspiring. So thinking about the audience that you are interviewing and how could you bring in people that have not yet, but want to write a book and how could you word that in a way that attracts those right people to you because then they could potentially become clients okay so like a like a little mini coaching session kind of sure. like what's happening now exactly <laughs> you could so, totally you could totally yeah. do that you know yeah. um and yeah. then um the next thing that I want to mention I was looking at my notes and we had talked about raising your prices Okay. So one of the things that I thought was really interesting that you said was, you know, um, that you're kind of, you're making it 
but you don't really have a whole lot of extra. Yeah. So here's something that I really want you that I learned this from another coach and I was like, it totally blew my mind. Okay. So if you were to think of three lines, okay. And they represent the bottom, the bottom line is poverty income, paycheck to paycheck, barely making ends meet, but you make enough to make it, but you don't have extra for vacation. You don't have any extra there ends meet. That's it. Let's say that's $25,000 a year. Just gonna, we're going to play with these numbers because they're easy. Mm-hmm. Let's say that your comfort zone income, let's say that's $50,000. Okay. And you're, you're, you have a little extra, you can afford to go on a vacation. You can, you know, buy the nice cell phone or, you know, you, your kid can take dance classes, whatever. Okay. You're comfortable. Okay. Then we have the, what I like to call the, oh shit goal. The, oh shit goal is hundred thousand dollars. Okay. So you've double, double, double. Okay. So hundred thousand dollars. Woohoo. Like we are living it up. We don't have to worry about money. You know, whatever we want, we can get it. It's not a lot. It's it's we're great. Everything is good. We're not stressed about money. Okay. Here's what happens between the poverty income and the comfort zone income. What happens is we start climbing and climbing and climbing to that comfort zone. And we almost get there. And we kind of stop working and we start dropping back down and we get closer back down to that poverty income level. So then what do we do? We hustle again and we're trying to do everything we can to market and market and market and attract more people to us because we don't want to be in poverty level. We want to be in our comfort zone, but we always just kind of just barely scratch the surface. And then we, oh, we get back down. Here's what you got to do. This is going to, this is going to scare you. Okay. You got to change the lines. So the poverty level becomes $50,000. Your comfort zone level becomes $100,000. And your oh shit goal becomes 150, 200, whatever. So if you're saying to yourself, I am barely making ends meet. So what you got to do is you got to, you got to shift your numbers and say, what I need in order to make ends meet is the minimum of $50,000. So that means I need to reverse engineer. I need to adjust my prices accordingly. And in order to reach that poverty amount, which is actually comfort zone. So change the numbers, change where that is, and you will always be hustling towards $100,000 versus hustling towards $50,000. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. And so when you said, well, I raised my prices 25%, and I know that you may think that, oh my gosh, I have to tell everybody that I raised my prices. People that are brand new coming into your experience, they don't know what your previous prices were. They pay the price that you tell them. The other question I have for you is, do you offer payment plans at all? 
Um, I do deposits before work begins and then pay at the end. I've not done payment plans um, because I have heard from many, many other editorial professionals that they get paid you know, once, twice, and then they stop coming. Okay, so here's what I'm gonna tell you, okay? If you could offer payment plans, then you could um, essentially, when I did the anthology, I they gave me the option to pay in full or they gave me the option to do a payment plan. Um, but my payment plan ended a month ago and the book just came out, right? So um, you can set up the payment plan before anyone gets paid, everything's been paid in full. So um, before I was a business consultant, I was a photographer, okay? Which meant I had, I was selling very high package photo packages um, and with product. So when do I deliver the product? When the payments have been made, all of the payments have been made. You don't get product until you're, it's been paid in full. So you don't start working on editing. You don't start having stuff go to graphics. So if you were to figure, if you were to itemize every part of the project and say, before this gets done, we need to have this much like as a retainer, essentially in the bank. And so you're giving people an option to make it more affordable, which means that they're more likely to work with you, but you just need to say, Okay, so your project is going to take nine months to complete, and the payments need to be um, paid in uh, six months. I'm giving you a six-month payment plan so that you, all of the payments have been made before any tangible product is going, before the designer, before, you know what I'm saying, so that you feel like you're not going to get screwed. Yeah, that, that seems to work for this sort of assisted self-pub service in a way that I, I'd always kind of written it off because editing as a, like a one-off service, I'm mm -hmm. like, well, I'm not giving your book back to you until you pay right. me. Um, right. That does kind of eliminate it. I know some editors will go, okay, you can pay me over, you know, however many months. And then they've given the work back and the person doesn't pay. Yeah, no. So, um, no. Mm -mm. So here's what I, what I used to do was I had a retainer that was the cost of the photo shoot. And we did the photo shoot once they, the payment plan had met the cost of the retainer, mm. right? So if their photo shoot was a thousand dollars, we didn't start shooting until a thousand dollars had been paid in their payment plan. Okay. So like, okay. So that could that couldn't work so well for people who are like, I want editing and I want it now. Um, but for then someone you gotta pay up like, front. Mm -hmm. yeah, if somebody who's like, I want this, um, and I want to book you for, you know, six months out yeah, that, that is an option. Yep. I used to call it the, the boudoir bank where basically they were making, um, payments for a service to be, to be provided in the future. Mm -hmm. So they were sending like, I, totally side note, but I had women who would go to the grocery store and get cash back and bring me wads of cash to just put in their bank. Um, <laughs> so that their husbands were not any wiser that something fishy was going on. <laughs> Cause how do you hide $3,000? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like they're going to notice maybe. So, um, so it was a strategy that we used, right. But it was like, I would hold on to that and document it for them. And so when they were ready and we had then 
we could proceed with, with their services. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, if someone box at the paying full price, then you could, you know, say, well, would a payment plan work for you as, as a, um, objection, uh, like, Hey, let's talk more about what would work for you. Then you can decide if that's something that you're willing to do say, well, if we do that, your June or, you know, July, uh, launch date, we'd have to push that out a, a few months. Would you be okay with that? You know, or your payments would have to be more, but this is what we would. So take it, divide it up and, you know, make sure that you're accounting for, um, what the team needs to be paid, what you need to be paid, all the things that are included. But I really love the idea of, of you kind of creating this, this dream team, um, for your, for your business so that you can really be that one-stop shop for people. Yeah. And that is something that people, people do really want, um, particularly new self-publishers. They just want to go to somebody and be like, okay, you're the expert guide me through this. Yep. Um, every single step. Uh, and it is a step that I maybe resisted for a long time because of some of that very old fashioned publishing. Right. Yes. Against it's like you either self-publish all on your own or you traditionally publish, but now there is a nuance in between that does not have to be predatory. It can actually right. be far more instructive to right. have a guided, a, a basically a self-publishing guide to lead you along so that you come out the other side with these skills right? to, to take up from there. Yeah. Um, my next question is where are you selling your, um, your author's planner? So, um, right now it's, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, basically all typical e-retailers. Okay. Okay. Um, and have you ever thought about doing, um, a simple like ebook as an opt-in or something like that, that could, you know, five tips to self-publishing or something like that. I do have, um, an ebook as an opt-in and I've known for like months, this was not the right ebook to be an opt-in. So I've been kind of, it's another 2022 task to go through all of the material that I already have from like a million different conferences and go, what can I turn into an ebook that people would actually want? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll tell you a secret. Um, I actually, what I do, I have two, um, but they're, I call them starter kits and they are a PDF like a PDF workbook plus a masterclass plus a one-on-one call with me. Mm. Right. So it's a great way to, um, kind of take them through and, you know, this, this masterclass is a great way for them to see how I teach, how I talk, um, if they resonate with my energy and then we can hop on a call where it's a strategy call where I'm helping them like take what they learned in the workbook. And now how can we move forward? right? How can you take this and move forward? And I don't charge them for that because I genuinely want to help them. Now, do I get business from that? Sometimes. Yeah. Because I'm in conversation with people and like, wow, this was really great. Like, oh my gosh, I learned so much from you in 45 minutes. How can I work with you? You know, sure. Like, okay, cool. It wasn't my intention. My intention was to just help them. And it just happened to be that they're like, Hey, uh, I want to work with you, you know? So 
Um, the same could be true, right, for you. And along with that opt-in comes a, a very um, value-added um you know, email sequence. And, you know, you said, I have tons of content already. So really you're just repurposing what you've already written, whether that's blog post or transcript transcriptions from podcasts, whatever, and just repurpose all of that stuff and turn that into, you know, an email sequence. And then, um, uh, do you have, um, events at all where you are able to teach something to bring people into your experience? Um, yeah, I, I speak at conferences kind of semi-regularly, at least, at least a couple times a year. Um, okay. Um, one thing that has worked really well for me as far as like a marketing strategy has been offering some sort of monthly free workshop. So like, for example, um, last month was all about why you suck at sales. <laughs> right? That was the class was why you suck at sales. And then January, my class is a, is a vision board workshop. So I'm partnering with an artist and together we're doing a fun, something fun. Right. Um, but every month I have an event where I'm inviting people to come to this event. It's free and I give some value. And now I, they have to register through Zoom. So I'm, I'm able to, you know, collect email addresses. I always ask if they, they'd like to be added to my email list. I don't just automatically add them. I do a little back-end questionnaire and you got to go through the reports to figure out if they answered what they answered. It's quite irritating that they don't just have it easily to find, but there is a way to do it. Um, and so I can, you know, um, continue to engage with the audience. Um, I love doing zoom and then I can, you know, ask people to write stuff in the chat box and I can save the chat. And then I have really great information that I can follow up with people, you know, and then I reach out to them. Hey, thanks so much for coming to the workshop. I hope you got a lot of value out of that. Have a super great day. See what their response is and then continue conversation through like, you know, direct message or email or whatever, however they like to communicate. Um, but it, I've found that it's a really great way to just constantly be at top of mind when you have an event. Um, it gives people an opportunity to see who you are, hear how you learn from you, um, talk about your expertise, what's your zone of genius, how can you help people become an author, and you know, you can name it the same thing and do it every and do it the month, or you can change the title and still teach the same thing. But like, think about what's the result that someone could get from coming to that workshop. And that should be the name of the workshop. Okay. You know, so if you did something like that once a month, um, it will help you expand your network. It'll help you expand your reach. You know, you can pay Facebook to boost the to boost the event, you know, spend 10, 20 bucks or whatever, and just get a little bit more exposure that way um, and promote it in a variety of other ways too, you know? Yeah. I, I was about to ask like how heavily you have to advertise that because I, I would like to do events like that. That seems to really appeal to me, um, you know, as a podcaster, just to make it more interactive. Yeah. Um, but I, like my reach is small. I'm afraid I wouldn't get anybody unless I just spent oodles of money on advertising that I don't have. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, um, you know, one of those ways sharing with your network. So asking the people that 
already know you, already like you, already trust you to basically um, be your support and help in you growing to this next level of your business. And it's okay to say, you know, Hey everyone, I just want to let you know that I'm starting, uh, I'm creating a dream team, right? I would love your help. Who do you know? Who did you love working with? Because if you did not provide that service, maybe they have a recommendation. I want to let you know, I'm starting this workshop once a month. And if you could share this event with the people in your network that maybe are interested in writing books, please invite them, right? They all have friends that probably know someone who wants to write a book, right? So it's just about asking the people that you built relationships with to help, help you in, in your time of need as you're trying to grow and just, um, expand your community. Um, and then promoting it in the groups where, um, you know, where you have built those relationships and say, Hey, I just wanted to let you guys know I have this free workshop coming up. If anyone's interested, come join me. You know, even if three people show up, mm-hmm. celebrate the three people that show up, because guess what? They get more intimate one-on-one time with you than if you had a hundred people on the call. So doesn't matter if one person shows up, doesn't matter if 100 people show up, you teach the class the same way you record it. And now you have really great content and you can offer it as an opt-in. You can, you could do your starter kit, create the, create a little workbook ebook situation, do the masterclass on it. And now you have your, now you have an opt-in and you don't have to re-record anything. You're just repurposing content. So, um, my goal crusher starter kit is that exact thing. So I created a workbook, I taught a a class on it, and then that is my opt-in. So they're watching me teach to a group of people on zoom, Mm -hmm. going through the workbook and, and filling out the, the boxes and, and really giving them a lot of juicy nuggets. And then invite them to a one-on-one with you, Yeah, you know, but that's all like all that stuff. Ooh, that's my zone of genius. Like that's where I, you know, love being able to help people get stuff like that launched and launching a new program, a new anything. That's my zone of genius, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's again, it's like one of those weird little blocks of like, I've built relationships and I don't know why I shouldn't feel like it's okay to ask for these things. But I guess you just have, at least for me, I have this like rule in my head of this is how things are done and not that you can step outside of that and ask for something. But here's the thing. If they asked you for help, would you help them? Of course. Of course. <laughs> because they're your friends. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's what friends are for. And then if you don't ask them, they'll say, why didn't you ask me to help you? Yeah. And then you'd be like, cause I was scared. Like, I didn't know it was allowed. <laughs> yeah. So it's okay to say, you know, Hey, um, I'm doing this thing. If you are able to help me, if you're interested in helping me, this is what that looks like. If you're not, that's okay. Like, I'm not going to be mad about it. Right. But I still think it's okay to check in with your friends and, you know, Hey, we haven't connected in a while. What are you up to? This is what I'm up to. You know, 
let's connect. Let's talk about it. Like, I want to learn more about what you're up, what you're doing, and then share what you're doing and then ask, how can I support you? And then guess what? They might say, how can I support you? And you could say, I really need connections to people that want to write a book. Do you know anyone? Actually? Yeah. Sally. I was just talking to Sally the other day and, uh, she mentioned that. Oh, I didn't even like put two and two together that you could help her. Right. So it's okay. Like how, like get, talk to the people that you already know and say, Hey, I'd love to have a catch up zoom with you. Let's reconnect. I want to, what are your goals for the new year? I would love to, how can I support you? This is what I'm working on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There and I have be, like a whole, mm -hmm. I have a whole like backlist of previous podcast guests that perfect. Like exactly. this is a networking thing that I've totally just not done. Right. Right. And now this is when you can say, I want to build a dream team. Who did you work with that you absolutely loved? Mm -hmm. I would love if, could you connect us? Yeah. Right. And just tell them what's going on. You know, um, people want to help you especially you interviewed them on your podcast. Guess what? They're going to be more willing to help you because you gave them free airtime. Right? So you got to get out of your own damn way, girl, and go get shit done now. <laughs> right? You got to get out of that thinking that nobody wants to help me. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. I'm afraid I'm going to break the rules. Like if you would call them for help. If they could call you for help, they're a friend. You can ask them to, to help you with this. You're not selling them anything. Yeah. Okay. So this is not a sales call. This is a let's connect. What's going on with you? How are you doing? What's new with you since we last talked, you know, get reacquainted and you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. No one's going to be mean to you and say, you're not allowed to ask me for that. Yeah. They would just not reply. So <laughs> if, they right. if they're not, they, they won't reply. Right. But if they do, because people love to talk about themselves, that's why they want to be on a podcast because they love yeah. to talk about themselves. Right. So it's a, it's a hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. So Five, four, three, two, one, Mel Robbins, right? Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just telling my daughter about that yesterday. She's like, I should go one, two. I'm like, no, Mel Robbins is five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> just do it. So has this been helpful? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's given me a lot to think about. Um, kind of glad that I don't have a super heavy schedule this first week back because um, now I can start making some plans um, to Good. put all this in action. Good. Well, I can't wait to hear about what you decide to implement um, mm -hmm. in over the next few months. Yeah, definitely. Can't wait to see what you do. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has actually been really, really helpful. <laughs> you are very welcome. All right, everybody have a great day.